ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends beyond the binary, my patron peeps, it's time for the podcaster. I don't know if I'm the best thing since sliced bread or spriced bread. What about, I I thought a spriced, spriced bread, a spriced bread, bread. I don't know, patrons. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I know you're the ones that keep the show going, though. So uh, here we go. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest what I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's the thoughts, the feelings, the physicals, you know, anything physical. So things you're thinking about, things you're experiencing emotionally, physically feeling, where you might be, you know, you could be traveling, someone else could be traveling, you could be a student, you could work the second or the third shift, you could be getting ready for whatever it is. I'd like to take your mind off of that. That's really the gist of the show is to take your mind off of things while you fall asleep, to keep you company as you drift off into dreamland. And, like, I don't usually use this word facilitate, but to create a safe place to facilitate all that. And it's really an important part of it is, uh, even though it's, uh, like, a a totem safe place, uh, like, it's not really a totem. Theater of the mind is what totem stands for. But, you know, it's a joint safe place, uh, that I'm carving out here and kind of saying, here, here's plenty of room. And the other ways I try to facilitate it or sta- I guess I, whoa, scoots, hold on with the before establishation before facilitation. And I say, chim chimney, chim chimney, or chim chim cheree for sure. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night. I'm going to use a lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones, pointless meanders, nonsense, uh, in nonsense words, or words that are in contextually nonsensical, like you say, well, in in, in you know, for a chimney sweep or a character in a musical or uh, an actor or an actress in a musical, chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim cheree makes sense in the middle of a sleep podcast when you were talking about uh, something else that somehow you already forgot about. Oh. oh uh, I don't even know what it would nonsense words or whatever. Uh, oh no, that was my nonsense word. Okay. I got mixed up, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across. Oh, nonsense words. That's what or nonsensically. Yes. Yeah, send my voice across the lowing, soothing tones, pointless meanders. And kind of like a, not just, Oh, not like non. There's, is a, there's a part of it that's nonsensical in a way to try to uh, deflate the, the, uh, intensity at bedtime to dial it down uh, you can hear me breathing you know to, 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 to give some levity to give you some room not just to breathe but to unwind uh, to get some distance and then to drift off uh, you you're here maybe because you heard about this podcast and maybe you're a regular listener glad you're here maybe this is your second or third time uh, or, you know, anything, maybe you occasionally use the show, but maybe you're, I don't know if you're here because you're having trouble getting asleep, falling asleep, staying asleep, uh, in the middle of sleep, you know, whatever it is, uh, 
You deserve some rest. I mean, if you're here for a good night's sleep, you deserve that. If you're here for a break during the day, you deserve some room there to breathe, too. And that's really why I'm here is to help. Now, this doesn't work for everybody. So if you're new uh, and you're approaching the show with a healthy dose of skepticism or even an extra, you know, and then you say and a couple extra tablespoons of skepticism totally makes sense. Like maybe you heard about this podcast and he said, what is it? It's a sleep podcast. Okay. And maybe this is already a little divergent from your expectations. It's a little bit different. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and, yeah, who, who, who am I to kind of, well, I've been there. That's why I make the show. Also, my thoughts tend to be disjointed. So that may be, make you more skeptical at first. So all I can say is give it a few tries. Let me, if you're new, let me give you a couple other pieces of information. Structurally, the show starts off with a few minutes of business. That's how we keep the show free and going for over six years. Uh, so thanks everybody uh, more for more important for regular listeners. If you're new, just to kind of like, uh, whatever, thanks for listening to that. Uh, then there's an intro. Now we probably a couple minutes into the intro, the intro intro is like uh, the wind down portion of the show or, you know, for some listeners, and maybe this is me being, you know, idealizing things cause there's no wrong way to use this podcast, but you know, I am a hopeless romantic when it comes to bedtime routines. <laughs> I wish I had, you know, I wish I, sorry, I just got goofing on myself. I said, well, I could, you could, anyway, my bedtime routine, unfortunately, is hopelessly non-romantic. So I guess I got caught in my own pun. I was exposed by an accidental pun, but um, what was I saying? Like in, in my romantic version of it, which is much like my romantic bedtime anyway, is uh I picture listeners that kind of start the show or there's like listeners that take care of dogs, either in a, like in professional or volunteer sense, uh, like at a lot of places, there's animals, people play the podcast. Now that's really romantic to me. I mean, in a, like a, I, I love animals and knowing the podcast is playing is, you know, they, they, get, they wind down for the night and put their heads down. That really is touching to me. But also kind of just seeing listeners brushing their teeth and they kind of bare, you know, you can't really hear that great when you're brushing your teeth, but that's kind of, you know, you don't really need to hear me that great. Uh, and then, the, you know, the, the ideally your flaw. Yep. Thanks. Uh, Dennis everywhere are actually giving me applause. Everybody, all my listeners floss, of course, Dennis, may, you know, then maybe you do the rest of your skincare routine. If you do any, you know, I'm big on that. I don't, actually don't. I'm aspirationally one day, not only will I have a skincare routine, I'll have an elbow routine. I don't know why I, I again, romanticize bombing elbows, but I do. And the whole time this intro is playing and then the listener gets into bed, maybe. And maybe they're paging through something or maybe they're doing, you know, it'd be hard. I guess you could journal this in this podcast, but as I said, maybe you're doodling, you know, getting your temperature set, getting your blanket set, uh, maybe dimming the lights. And that, so the intro for a lot of listeners is part of the wind down, I guess was my point. Uh, statistically speaking, like I think two or 3% of people skip the intro to about 18 minutes and start the show there. And some listeners fall asleep during the intro, and I think a lot of those listeners become patrons. You know that way, that way you keep the show going. 
And so some some new people, like when you're new, the intro kind of, it can definitely throw you off because it's not super efficient just because I found bedtime and getting to bed isn't efficient. So it's about a 12 or 14 minute wind down where I just kind of try to explain the podcast in a slow, easy motion, get lost in my discursive thinking, try to come up with goofy metaphors. Then I forget what metaphor I made at the beginning of the show that already happened. Then I'll try to come up with another metaphor. I may talk to imaginary friends, take phone calls from imaginary beings, which feel to me very real, a lot of friendly banter. So that's the intro. But it's a big part of the show for a lot of listeners, and it's kind of something that's grown out of listener feedback. And that's, you know, it's optional. Like those those regular listeners know that. so that's the intro. Then tonight after the intro, we'll have there's some business tucked between the intro and the show. Again, you're winding down, keeps the show going. Uh, then tonight we'll be talking about Doctor Who, I think season two, episode 11 or 12. Right, uh, yeah, somewhere in there. The episode with the Olympics in it. And it'll be very uh, indirect discussion of the episode. Not really any spoilers, not really any points. We'll just talk about road work and uh, crayons and things like that. So it'll be kind of barely resemble the original episode. Maybe talk about some stuff I had to look up uh, and say, huh, I wonder what that meant. Or, oh, they, that's what they call that in England. What do they call it in the U.S.? Or, or things, you know. Say, okay, what are, what are some factoids about the 2012 Olympiad? They say, Scoots, actually, it's the 60. And I say, thank you, thank you, Brain. So that'll be the episode portion. Then at the end of the show is some thank yous. So, so that's structurally what to expect. And here's the good news. This is uh, the, the this podcast doesn't really have a lot of rules. People use it in a, tons of different ways. There's people that listen to 10 episodes a night. There's people that listen to the same episode over and over. And like I said, we've talked about other use cases, uh, but, uh, you don't, this is the one podcast you don't really need to listen to. And ideally I just get enough of your attention to take your mind off. Whatever's keeping you awake. I walk at your side, stand at your side, sit at your side, sit nearby, sit across the hall, across the room, whatever you're comfortable with and, and keep you company as you drift off, uh, in, into the arms of Morpheus. So you don't need to listen to me. And, yeah, there is a percentage of listeners either that uh, don't understand anything I'm saying or that turn me way down to a mumble. Uh, but there's also no pressure to fall asleep. This is, I guess, the paradox is, like, you don't need to listen, but you can. You might not hear any of the story, but the story or the journey of this Doctor Who episode will be complete uh, because there is no pressure to fall asleep. I'm going to be here about an hour. You could queue up 10 hours of episodes if you need them. Uh, I'm here to keep you company. I'm here for those listeners that can't sleep just as much as for the ones that are deep, deep asleep. And oh boy, do you look good sleeping so deeply. I'm so It makes me so happy because I know, you know that you're resting. But those of you that aren't, I'm here too. And, and you, by the way, you look great too. Did you, did you bomb your elbows tonight? Oh boy. So I'm here. No pressure to fall asleep at all. This is, it's a, it's a weird, it's a, yeah, you fall asleep at your leisure. We're not. I mean, I'm, I'm here to keep you company. I truly believe you deserve a good night's sleep. I'm someone that's struggled with sleep on and off in tons of different ways, including this one, which the podcast, this might be one of the few use cases the podcast is not good for. 
it, or it might be good for the wind down por- por- portion is like uh, the 30 minutes before your alarm wake up. Uh, that's what's been going on with me this week. And I'd say that's great that you're really waking up right before that alarm, but uh, not part of what we planned or discussed last night. Uh, so, no, really, if you say, I'm glad there's some sort of go getter inside me. But I'd prefer you do any of your go-getting or get, you know, getting or going after the alarm. As much as I loathe the alarm and like to wake up without it, it's really there as a, like, a aspirational thing. You see, when that alarm goes off, that's like the idyllic we've been asleep for eight hours exactly. And I know it's partially cognitive dissonance, but I'd really appreciate it if you just, uh, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do for those 30 minutes anyway. You know, I think about like, uh, just like, you know, like I've, you know what I've seen the ceiling. So I got a good view of it. Uh, okay. We could talk about it later. You're right. I'm doing a podcast intro. So anyway, my main point is I'm glad you're here. I really hope I can help you, you know, especially if you're new, but if you're a regular listener, I'm so glad you're back. And I'm so glad you give me this opportunity to keep you company and to help you drift off. I work very hard. I strive and I yearn. You know what? I take this nonsense seriously. Uh, to be, you know, for this opportunity to be nonsensical seriously. Uh, so thank you so much for coming by. And here's a couple of ways we keep the show going. All right, everybody. They were talking about a C- series two, season two of Doctor Who. If you're watching it on Amazon, it's episode 12. If you're watching it somewhere else, it's probably episode 11. Uh, and it has, I have the alternative working title here, uh, Her Olympics. Uh, uh, but it, it also has a different title. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's a, it was a really enjoyable episode. Olympic-themed a little bit. Uh, balloon cloudy sky. It opens with happy music. There's actually a blue sky with clouds, which I said, like, last episode was about ELO, Mr. Blue Sky. We see a banner that says London 2012 Olympics or Olympics 2012 London or 2012 London Olympics or 2012 Olympics of London. And then, what do we see? A mail person. There's road repair going on. At first, I thought the mail person was doing food delivery, but then I said, no, I think that's mail delivery, not... Because this is 2012, it wasn't uh, like one of the food delivery services. Uh, it could have been filmed. I don't. I don't actually know when it was filmed. We see a baby in a pram, kids playing soccer in their yard, a dock washing. Oh, dad is washing a car. Uh, we see someone with her hand on a second-story window looking out. Uh, a woman looks around. Then I think there's a spin cam. The doctor can't help DK, can't you feel it, go inside. I don't know what DK means. or ad, Oh, ad. Is that an ad? No. Yeah, but what happens is, uh, oh, I just saw the spin cam. It's a woman, she's walking with her, her basket, uh, and she knows something's coming, in, coming, coming, like a coming. She says something's happening. She's surprised why nobody else notices it. Uh, then, uh, her name's Maeve, actually, just like the famous lamp post named Maeve. If you listen to everything is a live podcast. Oh yeah. They say, you want us to call a doctor? She says, no, doctor can't help with this. Uh, she says, don't you feel it? It's in the air. 
Uh, and she tells everybody to go inside. We hear Kookaburra, Kookaburra, a girl singing that song. We see a boy in a Union Jack polo, or was a T-shirt? I wasn't sure. The girl that was singing is also drawing. Laugh, Kookaburra. Spie- Spiegel writing. I don't know. What the, uh, I'm not sure what that says, but then the dad is dismissive of the woman, Maeve. Uh, is this a goad or road or a oh, goal? Uh, there's uh, with the goal. Uh, we go back to the girl who's drawing. She's really into it. And then she finds a way to take the boy with the Union Jack out of the goal, the soccer goal, and put him in a drawing for fun, for total fun purposes. He's not so sure about it, but then the episode opens. It was by, it's by Matthew Graham. Then we see, after the open, the two blue, uh, not crates, what are those called? Like storage containers, uh, like shipping containers almost, uh, that are almost the same blue. The TARDIS is in between them like just a little bit less than wedged in there so that they can't open the TARDIS door, which I guess this would be trivia. The TARDIS door opens outward. And so then they, the TARDIS dematerializes and rematerializes with the door turned. Uh, the doctor goes out. He has his brown pinstripe suit on, but he does not have a tie. He says, ah, uh, uh, Rose looks uh, at a Shane Ward poster. Uh, like postal bills, Shane Ward bills are posted for an upcoming Shane Ward show. It's the near future because uh, his director says, yes, time for the uh, 30th Olympiad in uh, London. He said, I had a passing, passing fancy, but didn't pass. Uh, so we came here. They talk about uh, Club Med. The uh, doctor seems like only yesterday I was at the original Olympics, uh, you know, with the Greeks. And he wants to go to the opening ceremony like I thought they would like it. Uh, he was also at the one in 1948 at Wembley. Uh, looking for carrying the torch. He he loves uh, cakes with ball bearings on there. Little cakes with uh, crunchy ball bearings. Uh, uh, in a thorough, they're on a thoroughly ordinary street, I think the doctor mentions. But then, of course, Rose realizes. She says, it feels cold. Uh, and then what does it say? What makes you think it is a person? But why is it so cold, the doctor says. Uh, someone reducing the temperature. And then they realize, uh, some, you know, they were brought there for a reason. Uh, oh, Rose says, what makes a person do something? And the doctor says, what do you think that makes you think it's a person? And then the doctor runs off to fool fields, uh, f- f- something with his, fi- oh, field goal, the football goal with his fingers. A car stalls out by Rose for the fifth time today. I don't know what that says. I thought it said bonkers, but it might say benders or bounders. Uh, maybe it's this gentleman's name. Let's see. Their car is a Cooper Mini ran out. Uh, the gentleman working says fifth time today. He says, hey, let me give you a push. Uh, the guy says, I just got my car tuned up. I don't even know what had happened. Oh, he does say, it's bonkers, bonkers. Uh, and then Rose helps him push the car. It starts after they get it going a little while. The doctor tickles uh, f- f- something. 
Doctor tickles his fingers. Let's see. Dad, what you came can't come. The doctor talks about the game shoots and ladders by another name. The gentleman talks about tarmacking every pothole. They talk about the the torture is going to be nearby. That's why he's been making the streets look good. Oh, yeah, the doctor senses some tickles in his fingers. Uh, no, the dad comes and says, why are you standing in my kid's goal, dude? What's your game? And the doctor goes, well, I'm good. Oh, shoots and ladders, squash. Uh, those are the games I like to play. Uh, he goes, I'm being facetious, though. Sorry. Uh, I've got a colleague, Lewis, uh, who's Rose. Uh, because the dad's acting like, he, he, I mean, the doctor's like using his psychic paper. He says something like, it's right here. Oh, then it's like an argument between the the city, the council workers and the the people that live on the streets. And someone, the guy from the council says, stop picking on me and stop blaming me. And then the doctor says, everybody put your fingers on your lips. Uh and then he says, come on, this was a good street, uh, not, not, a not a person, please look, uh, oh, then we see the person looking out the window, the doctor does some sniffing like a dog, he sits right here among us, metal smell, the doctor says, uh, hairs on the back of my neck or back of my head, uh, I'm sensing an awful lot of power. Then we see the young girl who's been drawing. Her name's Chloe. She's drawing a cat with Dale, the boy in the Union Jack shirts. And let's see, what? who looks frowny? Dale looks frowny. And then she says, I made Dale a frowny cat, which will make him happy. Then I put man torch watch. Chloe does not come. I'm busy, Mom. So I think her mom, uh, here's I'm watching. Everybody has their fingers on their lips now. And then Maeve asked doctor for permission to speak. She says, look around. Uh, yeah, this used to be a great street. Uh, and I don't know if Chloe's mom was portrayed in a, a specific way or not, but uh, she's definitely aloof uh, in this episode. So I don't know if that was intentional or not. Uh, but Chloe, like in her mom, says, she goes, Mom, unless you want me to draw you, stay out of my drawing business. I don't want to watch the Olympic torch. Uh, Rose sees a cat. Uh, the doctor says, oh, this is definitely not a person. Because uh, the cat cat goes uh, to another dimension. Uh, let's see what else come up here. Uh, uh, cat, oh, the cat sneaks into a box and then goes into the drawing, draw, into drawing land with Chloe. Doctor says, blimey, we got to find the source of the power that's drawing everybody into the drawings. Well, they don't, but they don't know everybody's in a drawing yet. They just know they're being drawn away. Uh, find the source of power, power keep up a pocket, Lewis. Uh, it, it was the doctor still calling, uh, Lewis, uh, Rose Lewis, like they're looking into stuff. Uh, he says some other thing, like a typical, uh, like a copper would in a, a show. Keep up something, Lewis. Uh, Chloe talks, scolds kids. Oh, she scolds the kids in her drawing, and then she gets frustrated. She makes a big scribble. Oh, Daisy Fairweather is the person currently carrying the torch. Uh, 
Then Rose goes up to a garage. She she hears some some sort of noise in the garage. Uh, and she says, I'm not going to open it, not going to open it, uh, not going to open it, not going to open it. And then she opens it, and the scribble flies out like a, a flock of birds. The doctor's absent with a sonic screwdriver. This answered a question from the last episode, because the doctor and Rose have a big hug. Uh, so that was, uh, I said, okay, so Rose and the doctor do have a physical connection. Um uh, let's see what else they put the dialogue. So let's see what they talk about here. Uh, let's see. Okay, that was a scribble. Maybe it was an ionic scribble being. Huh. The doctor, oh, they tested back at the TARDIS. Oh, it's the same material as graphite pencil. Oh, doctor calls it so dinky. Yeah, it comes from the same energy. Uh, so it's graphite. So they do determine, uh, Rose goes, well, what if it was from a child's drawing? Uh, you said it was on the street. Oh, the girl upstairs looking out the window. And her mom looked uh, like she had something on her mind. And then the doctor goes, are you deducing or deducting? And Rose goes, I am. A copper's hunch. Permission to follow it up, Sarge? Well, I didn't look this up, HB pencil, but uh, that was interesting. Uh, why make a scribble creature, scribble being like Charles, are you deducing? They go to the house, knock, 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 uh, repurpose, move. Uh, what does that mean? Talk with mom. Oh, they do a reverse, uh, like the reverse psychology move. They knock on the door. They say, Hey, mind if we check in with your daughter? She says, no, they say, all right, no, no problem. And the doctor walks off with Rose and then they say, well, why do you want to see Chloe? And they say, she goes, well, I just thought I'd look into it. Uh, something going on here. Thought she could help. Uh, sorry, we'll just move on. You can handle it yourself. And, and then Trish, the mom says, well, can you help? Uh, and we get a little backstory while Rose goes sneaking around the house and then hides in a linen closet. Uh, Chloe goes out of her room. Rose sneaks into her room. It's a nice room. Uh, lots of kids stuff. Lots of kids drawings of kids. Uh, Rose knocks over the pencils. She notices the kids' faces have changed. Uh, so she says, oh, these kids are in these drawings. Uh, doctor's getting backstory downstairs. Uh, Chloe's getting milk. Uh, Rose goes, how are you doing, Chloe Weber? And she goes, I'm busy, as a matter of fact. Uh, and uh, Trish goes, Trish talks about Chloe like she's not there. Doctor gives her the Vulcan salute. I had to look that up. I was calling it Spock hands. Uh, and Chloe says, she's not trying to help the drawings, but they don't stop moaning. Uh, and uh, Chloe's a little bit irritated with her mom. Uh, Rose looks into like a wardrobe, and uh, there's a, a big drawing in there. Chloe says, "Doctor, hit the road. I'm busy." Doctor calls her a spoil sport. What's the project? Uh, yeah, glowing eyes. Chloe drew a drawing with glowing eyes. Uh, Rose calls the doctor because she says, "I don't like this glowing looks of this drawing. It's a drawing in in her closet or wardrobe." Uh, and the mom says, you guys got to lean, lean uh, leave out of the house. Uh, but then Chloe gives a little hint because she talks about herself in the herself in the plural, us. Uh, she refers to herself, kind of her and her mom, but also just to herself as us. Uh, 
Mom's in a bit of denial about everything. Doctor tries to break through the denial. I'm here to help. Uh, doctor starts to exit jelly or something. Oh, he's, I don't know if he was eating brown sauce or jelly in the kitchen. Rose and the mom and the doctor talk. Doctor does a ton of uh, staring and thinking. And then speaking of Spock, the doctor go, they go back to Coley's room. The doctor does a bit of like a mind meld uh, uh, so he can talk to another being that's a living with Chloe. And he says, uh, now we can talk. Uh, also, Chloe gave the doctor the, the Vulcan salute back before he did the Vulcan mind meld. Uh, and there's another being with Chloe. Doctor says, I'm here in compliance to parlay with the shadow proclamation. Chloe says, I don't care about shadows or parlay. It turns out that uh, the being living with Chloe is called Isolus, which is a, let's see what I got. Chloe does mind meld, parlays, parlaysies. Uh, I think even that term got used. Like a bit of a golem turn, lonely. Isolus is lonely, far from home. Uh, part of like a collective being takes thousands of years for these isolus, which are like kind of like a seed pods a bit. Uh, they're from an empathetic planet of community beings. Uh, they fly on solar tides, uh, thousands of years to grow up. Uh, while they travel, they play with each other in this imaginary empathy thing. Uh, they run on the fuel of love, uh, or they feel each other's love, but a solar flare kind of knocked this particular isolus off the chart. And it was drawn to the heat uh, in the street while they were patching the streets, and they empathized with Chloe. And but this is you know this being does not belong there, so they say, well, you got to get back. Uh, of course, this isn't easy on Chloe, so then they sing Kookaburra to calm her down. Uh, then, this oh, we see a bunch of Chloe's marker and pen collection. We get back, back more backstory. Uh, Mom, oh, I think uh, the pretty big fonts, 4 billion Zoe. Watching 80,000 crowd looking for the pod. Uh, but there's something, I don't, I don't know what any of that means, to be honest with you. Uh, marker and pen collection and backstory. Okay, so they hint to mom, yeah, the Isolus is from a big family, four billion people. So that's what's always, the Isolus is going to want to find a bigger family soon. Then they're watching the opening games, a crowd of 80,000. Rose and the doctor go out looking for the pod, you know, wherever the Isolus' little ship came. And Zoe sneaks out of the house. She sees the TARDIS and the doctor. The doctor and Rose are on the TARDIS looking for, like, a search device to find the pod. Uh, the doctor says, there are two, two lonely mixed-up kids, the Isolus and Chloe. we got to help them. Because Rose kind of speaks for the audience's skepticism in some ways. Says, "Why should we help these two? And the doctor says, "They're just mixed up. Uh, they use a binary dot uh, and some wormhole reflectors or something." Uh, Rose, oh Zoe, Zoe, Chloe. I put Zoe there, but she has stashed pencils everywhere and pens hidden in her room. The doctor drops a huge hint. Uh, I was a dad once. Uh, even though they're in the middle, middle of something, the doctor changes the subject. Uh, he says it in passing, and Rose gives a WTF look. Uh, 
Fear and loneliness, doctor says, those are powerful things. And most of all, uh, you need a hand uh, to hold. Uh, again, beautiful language in there. Everything is coming up, doctor, he says, like a gull's egg. But then the doctor gets it. Chloe draws the doctor into a drawing. Drawing. Doctor into drawing is in, in something, and Rose is not happy. Oh, they weren't happy because Rose, they said, don't let, don't leave Chloe alone and don't let her draw anything. And then the mom's like, why? She, mom must have been a big Olympics fan because she's like, I'm watching the Olympics and having a glass of soda. Uh, does try to chill doctor's hands in pockets. Uh, or Rose tries to chill out. The doctor's hands are in the pockets in the picture. Don't leave, Rose says again, don't leave her alone. Uh, she goes out to talk to Kel, who's a guy looking at the road. He's working on the road. He's fixing it again. There's a good joke. He said, I could write the big book about tarmacking. He goes, every six, six days, this is, uh, six days goes the first pothole fix. So they realize, Rose realizes, uh, uh, that that's when, that's when the whole thing started. So she's like, where's the first pothole? And then the, the, let's see what the dialogue was pretty good. Uh, Cause she says, I'm going to dig it up. And he says, uh, no, 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 no state. You can't, this is, you know, council property van, uh, you know, Rose says, don't worry. I'll dig up the panel. You can put it back. It went for the hottest thing in the street, your tar in the uh, pothole. And she pulls it out. It looks like a shell. And she goes, uh, Kel says, what is it? She goes, it's a spaceship. Uh, uh, Rose finds that Chloe's, Chloe's drawing again. She's alone. Uh, so her mom's back, you know, a little bit aloof. Uh, she talks to the star, st- st- oh, talks, uh, she takes the, uh, starfruit moon. Uh, mom's downstairs having a drink, empty state. Oh, so Ro- Chloe takes the, empties the whole Olympic opening game stadium. She paints, draws the whole stadium. Which they said it, before it happened, uh, it was eighty thousand uh, people and thirty thousand athletes. Uh, Bob in a box. Uh, they say back to you, Bob. Uh, WTF? Uh, uh, Rose and pickaxe. Pickaxe. Uh, pictures are moving. Uh, doctor, uh, more than heat. Uh, the torch is a beam. So, so they're trying to figure out, okay, Rose wants to get the doctor out of the picture. And to, to do that, they got to get Chloe or the Isolus uh, back to, you know, outer space. Uh, and it's like, okay, it doesn't just need heat. Uh, and the Rose is working with the doctor's painting. Uh, and then they, the, 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 the Olympic opening games is going on TV. They say, oh, the torch is more than uh uh, just a beacon, or more than heat. It's a beacon of hope and love. And uh, this handwriting is still going towards uh, random empty. What Durr's timing? Uh, let me see if I can look that up. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Okay, here it goes. Uh, uh, needs more than heat. The Isola says, Rose says once, uh, Kel, Kel says, I see the picture move. Uh, 
uh, but it needs more hope, uh, more than heat, doctor. That's when they say it's more than a choice. It's a beacon of hope, fortitude, and courage, a beacon of love. Uh, and then Rose knows how to charge the pod. Uh, so she runs out to the route. Uh, she goes, I got to get closer. I can stop everything. Meanwhile, Chloe's trying to get more family members, four billion or whatever. She's drawing the globe. Uh, so there's a ticking clock now. The pod is making noises. Rose says, you can feel the love, can't you? And Rose throws a pod and it flies into the torch. Uh, and the torchbearer goes to knee and then keeps going. And then we go to Chloe's room and the Isolus leaves her. She says, I can go home. Goodbye, Chloe Weber. I love you. Uh, Chloe's back. She kind of reconnects with her mom. Let's see, Pop beeps. Uh, perfect throw. Feel the love. Goodbye, Chloe Weber. I love you, Mommy, she says. Uh, everyone gets out of the pictures. There's big mu- music, big hugs. Everybody's reunited. Stadium's filled, but the doctor's missing. Uh, Maeve is back on the street. She's all happy. Yeah, all drawings are back to normal. I soulless energy, not alone. Sing, Doctor. Uh, I don't know what that meant, but, uh, you know, the Isolus is getting to go back home. The doctor's still missing. The Olympics are back on the TV. They say, thank goodness, Bob. Uh, Good to have you back. Uh, Bob said, I think it was in a drawing. Uh, And then they say, where's the dude with the, um, the dude who can't run anymore with the torch? Uh, And then a total moment of, uh, like, uh, joy, I guess. The doctor scoops up the torch. uh, the doctor does, uh, and starts running with it. Uh, uh, he's carrying the flame. They say it's more than a flame. It's hope, courage, love. There's big cheers and grins. Uh, the doctor runs right into the Olympic stadium, lights the Olympic flame. The Isolus flies out. Uh, everyone's in, like in the streets with joy. Uh, cake with ball bearings, Rose says to the doctor, he says, top banana. And then there's big hugs, and then there's uh, quite the tease. Because uh, we see, let's see, what how does it close? Cake, top banana. Ball bearings, you can eat masterpiece. Uh, and Rose goes, I thought you were gone. Kind of, and the doctor goes, not on a night like this. This is time for lost things to be found. Uh, he goes, let's go to the games. And Rose goes, well, who does good and what? And then they joke. Uh, and the fireworks just start. Uh, and Rose says, you know what, doctor? Uh, we'll never be split up. And then the doctor says, never say never. And Rose goes, well, what was that about being a father? She doesn't say that, but she says, we'll never split. Don't you reckon, doctor? And the doctor goes, there's something in the air. A storm's approaching. And the episode comes to a close. Okay, so let's check the 2012 Olympics. I think I have this game on Wii with Mario and Sonic. Uh, it was uh, 2012 Summer Olympics, the 30th Olympiad, uh, known as London 2012. Uh, July 27th to August 12th, 2012. Uh, women's football was the first event held at a Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Uh, and followed by the Olympic ceremonies on the 27th of July. 
uh, the bid was held by uh, Kent, the uh, mayor of London and Olympian, Ch- Olympian Sebastian Coe. Uh, they won over uh, New York, Madrid, Moscow, and Paris. Uh, the first city to have Olymp- modern Olympics three times. The last two times were 1908 and 1948. Uh, let's see. There was a lot of uh, work that went into it and rebuilding and reuse of venues, uh, widespread acclaim for the organization. Opening ceremony was directed by Danny Boyle. Uh, Michael Phelps won this 22nd medal. Uh, let's see, anything else? Bidding process, we don't even know about that. Uh Oh, you just barely beat out Paris, so it was really close. Yeah, development, venues, uh, Hyde Park. Uh, you have a lot of stuff that we could, you know, I'll link to it. Uh, uh, they tried to get their uh, um, public transit, upgraded to public transport to get ready. Uh, they ran a cable car across the Thames. I don't know if that's still up or not. Uh, uh, the plan was to have 80% of athletes travel have to travel less than 20 minutes to their event, uh, and 93% less than 30 minutes. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, cost, uh, of course, has expensive ticketing, countdown, medals. Oh, torch relay. Here we go. Uh, the Olympic torch went ran from May 19th to the 27th of July before the games. Uh, lands were developed in 2010 and 2011, and the torchbearer selection process announced on 2011, May 18th. Uh, they were, uh, 20, May 18th, 2012, the flame arrived at, uh, uh, in Cornwall from Greece on a flight uh, called Firefly. And uh, on the flight, the flame was carried inside of four minor lamps uh, uh, supplied by a lamp company from Manchester. Uh, it really lasted 70 days with 67 celebrations, six island visits, uh, 8,000 people carrying the torch, uh, starting from Land's End in Cornwall, three days outside the UK when it visited the Isle of Man in Dublin and Guernsey. In Jersey, it focused on national heritage sites uh, with sporting significance. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dumfries and Galloway were the only regions in the UK that had it passed through twice. And uh, yeah, it was actually lit together uh, with uh, a few different uh, torch torchbearers. Uh, so. Uh, opening ceremony. Uh, let's see, opening ceremony began at uh, 9 p.m. Uh, British summertime, which is UTC plus one. Uh, it, it was called the Isles of Wonder. It was Danny Boyle and music direction by Rick Smith. Uh, opened by Elizabeth II with uh, Prince Philip. Uh, it was the second games the Queen had opened. Uh, Personally, the first being the 1976 games in Montreal. It included a short comic film with uh, Daniel Craig, uh, the Queen, and Rowan Atkinson as Mr. Bean. Uh, there's a you know a bunch of uh, performers, and then the uh, closing ceremonies around the 12th of August. Uh, 
And, you know, so that's a little bit about uh, 2012 Summer Olympics. What about Pram? Uh, Pram is for a uh, four-wheeled, what do you call the thing, conveyance for children, baby transports. Uh, But it's also a a small, uh, shallow-drop, flat-bottom ship or a boat with a transom bow rather than a pointed bow, which makes sense because I don't think prams are pointed. Uh, kookaburra, kookaburras or kookaburras are uh, terrestrial kingfishers uh, native to Australia and New Guinea, which can grow to 28, from 28 to 42 centimeters. Uh, uh, it's an onomatopoeia of uh, their call, kookaburra. Uh, a loud, distinctive call of laughing kookaburra is a widely used sound effect in uh, movies for uh, take place in Australia. Uh, let's see. There's uh, the rufous-bellied kookaburra, the spangled kookaburra, blue-winged kookaburra, laughing kookaburra, and the shovel-billed kookaburra. Uh, they eat small forest friends. Uh, it doesn't look like they're under any kind of, uh, it says they're listed as least concerned. Uh, the Australian law does protect native birds. Uh, they, yeah, they're famous because their laugh sounds very human. They were one of the three mascots in the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney. Uh, the other was, uh, let's see, it was Sid the Platypus, uh, and Millie, the and Ch- Cheetah, and Ch- Chinda. Uh, there's a famous book, The Mystery of the Laughing Shadow. Uh, there's, of course, the famous song, which we'll get into. And I guess that's the extent of the, some facts about the kookaburra. All, this is all from Wikipedia, everything that we've done so far. Kookaburra, so- kookaburra, I say kookaburra. Uh, also known as Kookaburra Sits in the Old Gum Trees, a popular Australian nursery rhyme and round about the Kookaburra. It was written by Marion Sinclair in 1932, uh, who was a music teacher, and she had a sudden inspiration in church, dash home, wrote the words to Kookaburra, and entered the song in a competition run by the Girls' Guide Association of Victoria with the rights of the winning song to be sold to raise money for the purchase of a camping ground. The song's well-known around the world. Uh, copyright status uh, still under copyright. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Like, I can't sing on the podcast. So, and I, I know a long time ago I re- read the words to it. Uh, who's Matthew Graham? Matthew Graham uh, was uh, on the credits for this episode. Is uh, a British uh, television writer. Uh, uh, also a co-creator of the great show Life on Mars, uh, which came out in two, wow, 2006. And there was, there was actually like a U.S. Uh, version of it, too. There's also a spinoff, Ashes to Ashes. Uh, he's worked on other shows. Uh, Bone Kickers, uh, a six-part drama series about archaeology set in Bath. Uh, 
And I think that's it. What do we got? Like, did an episode of uh, EastEnders. Uh, let's see. A couple more Doctor Who episodes. Uh, oh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. So d- just a little bit from Wikipedia about Matthew Graham. What about Shane Ward? Uh, Shane Ward looks a little bit like uh, Rob Cesternino, actually. Uh, and uh, Shane Ward, born in 1984, English singer and actor, uh, best known for his role as Aiden Connor on Coronation Street from 2015 to 2018. He was the winner of the second series of X Factor. His debut single was uh, came out in 2005. That's my goal. Went to Christmas in number one charts. It was the first X Factor winner to release an original song as a winner single. Original song, I mean, uh, it signed on to Simon Cowell's record label. Uh, hit platinum in the UK, 4X platinum in Ireland. Uh, also, two more hit singles, No Promises and Stand By Me. Also, had a hit with the follow up album, Breathless. After a little hiatus in 2010, the third album came out. Then we started to go to TV fame. And I would say definitely easy on the eyes. And then his shirt's open on, what do you call it, Wikipedia. So, now what about Club Med? I don't know. Like, the only thing I knew about Club Med, I guess, was wrong. Yeah, I thought it was a thing in the 80s that single people used to go to uh, for vacations. But it turns out, I'm like looking at this one, it's uh, a private company headquartered in France, a premium all-inclusive holidays, uh, started in 1950 by a Belgian entrepreneur, Gerard Blitz. Uh, it was a low-priced summer colony of tents, uh, and uh, then the first official, first official club map was built in uh, Italy. Uh, the members stayed in uh, unlit straw huts on the beach, uh, sharing communal washing facilities, uh, but it's been upgraded. In 61, uh, Baron Rothschild uh, visited and enjoyed it. Uh, they opened winter villages in Switzerland and Tahiti, Mediterranean, Caribbean, and Florida. Uh, yeah, originally attracting many singles and young couples. Then it became a destination for families in the 60s. Because uh, I guess, I don't know, when I guess when the 80s, I thought it was like some, I thought it was really fancy. Uh, in the 90s, uh, there was too much competition, so they went on the decline. Uh, then from a holiday village company to a services company, they've tried to change. Uh, like then they've had gyms, restaurants, and uh, clubs. Uh, but that strategy was not successful. Twenty fifteen, it was acquired. Uh, let's see what else we need to know. Villages, uh, there's family resorts, resorts for everyone, and resorts for adult only. Uh, Exclusive collection in popular culture. The phrase "club met a cheap holiday for other people's." Uh, this is uh, like, uh, and then the Sex Pistols had a song about it too. It was satired in a film called Les Bronzes, uh, uh, released in English as French Fried Vacation. 
another movie with Jim Carrey and Alan Thicke. Uh, Copper Mountain, a Club Med experience, was a quasi-commercial for the Club Med Village at Copper Mountain, Colorado. In 1986, there was a TV movie, Club Med, with Linda Hamilton and Jack Scalia. So, I don't know, I guess... Uh, I guess I don't, I don't, still don't know anything about it. Uh, maybe, maybe there's some other, may, oh, may, I guess maybe there was a different thing that I'm thinking of. But I guess it just seems like an all-inclusive resort, I guess, because once somebody copied that, then that's when their fortune, you know, it's like, oh, we could just give you free alcohol and food. Uh, I guess maybe cruise ships probably were competition. Okay, so this is a website, myblueprint.com, my blueprint. This is by Jesse Olson Moore from November 17, 2018. And I'll be fair paraphrasing everything you wanted to know about sprinkles. Uh, and there's tons of stuff. There's round sprinkles, non-parels or whatever, teeny tiny balls, rainbow of hues. Non-parel means without equal in French or periel, whatever. Uh, uh, so. Oh, British have their own name for these orbs, hundreds and thousands, uh, hundred thousands. I think I've heard that. Uh, this is possibly the cutest way to say sprinkles. Then there's cylinder sprinkles. Uh, these are made by excluding sugar paste and long skinny ropes. Uh, in some parts, uh, these type of sprinkles are referred to as a jimmy. Uh, then there's the balls the doctor likes, Draget, D-R-A-G. Uh, D-R-A-G-E-E-S is Draget's. Uh, it's a confection with a hard outer shell. Uh, the name comes from a term for sugar-coated pills, uh, but really any candy-coated garnish could be a form of Draget from Jordan Almond Salmon M's. Uh, but when it comes to cake, people will think of these as uh, metallic-toned ones resembling ball bearings. Uh, and you got to make sure to check the ingredients. They say sanding sugar. I don't even know what that is. Translucent, available in a variety of colors, larger grain than white sugar. Oh, it adds a nice light touch. Crystal sugar is uh, sanding sugar's older sibling. Translucent in many colors, but larger and coarser. Uh, pearl sugar looks a bit like Draget's. Uh, shaped sprinkles, they can come in any shapes, stars, and etc. So that's just a little bit about sprinkles. Uh, what about the game Shoots and Ladders? Uh, it also is known by other names, but we won't worry about those ones, of course. Uh, oh boy, hold on, I just uh, messed up. I just pressed the wrong button. Uh, shoots and ladders, and then we'll talk about uh, one other thing after that. It's actually an ancient Indian board game, now worldwide classic. It does go by other names. Two players on a game board having numbered gridded squares. The number of ladders and shoots uh, uh, are on each board, connecting two specific board squares. The object of the game is navigate one's game piece uh, from the bottom to the top. Uh, Helped or hindered by the shoots and ladders. The game is a bit like basically a race to see who can get to the top first based on sheer luck, uh, popular with young children. The historic version had roots in morality lessons uh, where the player's progression of the board represented a journey through life uh, via virtue, ladders, and shoots, uh, vice. Uh, 
Yeah, mostly displayed on a board. Originated in India as a part of a family of dice board games. Uh, maybe at the same time as Ludo and Parcheesi. Uh, Milton Bradley started putting out in 1942. Uh, but you could see them in the National, uh, the National Museum in New Delhi has a, a very older version of the game. So that's cool. And then let's finish with the Vulcan salute. You know, let's say, let's say good night on that. Uh, Vulcan salute is a popular hand gesture popularized in the sixties to show Star Trek raised hand with palm forward, thumb extended while the fingers are parted between the middle and the ring finger devised by Leonard Nimoy. Uh, New York times 68, New York times interview said it was a double fingered version of Churchill's victory sign. And Nimoy said in that interview that he decided Vulcans were hand-oriented people. First appeared on the second season opening episode, A Mock Time, A-M-O-K-T-I-M-E. The gesture is known for being difficult for certain people to do properly without practice or the covert pre-positioning of fingers. I can do it on my left hand. On my right hand, I would have to pre-position the fingers. May difficulty may stem from uh, variations in manual dexterity. It was parodied in uh, Star Trek First Contact uh, when uh, Zephram is unable to do the gesture and then shakes a Vulcan's hand. Uh, in, in, I, in the autobiography, I Am Not Spock, uh, Nimoy wrote that he wrote, placed it on the priestly bre- uh, blessing, performed both hands thumb to thumb. After the Hebrew letter Shin, or Shin, S-H-I-N, which has three upward strokes, is similar to the position of the thumb and fingers in the gesture, uh, which stands for uh, Almighty, uh, and as well as Shalom. According to Wikipedia, uh, Nimoy wrote that when he was a child, his grandfather took him to an Orthodox synagogue where he saw the blessing performed and was impressed by it. Others often greeted Nimoy with a Vulcan sign, and it became so well known that it was in 2014 it was added to version seven of the Unicode standard U plus one F five nine six. So maybe that's how you do the emoji. And uh, so that's a little bit about that. And uh, yeah, I, I give you the Vulcan salute, the vocal Vulcan salute. Uh, uh, live long and prosper. Good night.